0: I'm Imu Shalev, and this is A Book Like No Other. Over the last three episodes, Rabbi Foreman's been building a thought-provoking theory that the two special trees in the garden might in fact have been one and the same. And I don't know about you, but for me, I was sold. Done deal, I was on team one tree. But this theory isn't all about numbers. It's about God's plan for us in the garden. The tree, like the Torah, was meant to be a tool for connecting with God. The tree itself emitted God's breath. The fruit, that's where his divine knowledge of good and evil lay. We were meant to connect first to the tree, fall in love with just being with God, and learn to appreciate and respect that relationship before reaping the practical benefits that God had to offer. The tragedy is, this plan failed. Adam and Chava went for the fruit first, and seeing their lust for power, God got worried that the tree itself was next. What if they consumed it in a mad grab for immortality? So God kicked us out, and we lost access to everything, tree and fruit. Only maybe the story doesn't end there. Rabbi Foreman promised us last time that the tree returns. Now the question is, where and when?
1: All right, Emo, time for us to get to that old cliffhanger there. Where else have we met the tree of life? And again, I'm not talking about metaphorically, but I'm talking about the actual vision as we last saw it. Does it ever appear again in the Bible? So in order to get our minds around that notion, let's just take account of the vision of the tree of life as we've last seen it in Eden.
0: In order to do that, Rabbi Foreman directed us to Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. That's where we find the last explicit description of the tree as Adam and Eve are exiled. Rabbi Forman's plan was for us to carefully take note of exactly how the tree is described so we can hunt for these specific details elsewhere in the Torah. But before we could even start reading, an intriguing parallel in these verses caught my eye and sparked an unexpected sidebar. And I know this will probably seem like a tangent right now, but it's going to end up playing an important part in our theory down the line. So hold on, enjoy the ride, and I promise we'll get back to the tree of life reappearing in just a few minutes.
1: So... We're actually going to look at the very end of chapter 3, the last two verses of the expulsion from Eden, um, two of the most mysterious verses in the entire Torah. Mm, I never noticed this before. Yeah, okay. So I'll read it, and then you tell me what you never noticed. wait. Right, hold right there. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: For most of this podcast, we focused on uh, Genesis 3, verse 22, Yep. Um, where God is is going to cast them out, pen yishlach yado, yeah. Right. Lest he uh, send out his hand um, and kind of violate the, the tree of life. But now here we're finally reading verse 23, and it begins, which means God cast them out from Ganeden. What I'm noticing is that the word here in verse 23 for casting out, it has the same root as the word in verse 22 for send out, as in, send out his hand. Same verb. Yeah, same verb, right? Perhaps God is afraid of them ca- casting their hand on the tree, so God casts them out from the place of the trees.
1: Correct. That is fascinating that it's the same verb. It's that God preemptively is casting them out of the garden, lest they cast their hand, right? And, and do something devastating. Right.
0: game by the way. Right. Yeah. And then he, he's cast out. Uh,
1: no, I hadn't thought of that. That's beautiful. So what Emu is noticing is a confluence of two verbs in verse 22 and verse 23, right? In verse 22, And lest man stretch forth his hand and take from the tree of life, right? And therefore, God cast man out of Eden to work the land from which he was taken.
0: These verses seem to be responding to each other. God seems to be saying, hey, before you reach out and take my precious tree, I'm sending you out of here, back to where you came from. So that's a nifty little connection, but honestly, we could have left it on the cutting room floor. Except seeing this connection got Rabbi Foreman's wheels turning. And as he does, he noticed something. Not only are verse 22 and 23 responding to each other, they seem to be responding to an earlier verse as well back in Genesis 2.15. This is a couple of verses after the creation of the garden. And look what we're told. Hashem et Adam, and God took Adam, Eden le'ovda and he placed him in gan Eden, to guard and to serve. Do you hear anything familiar? So first of all, Vayikach Hashem, God takes Adam and places him in the garden. It's the same verb we saw before, kach, to take. And why was Adam taken and placed in the garden? Le'ovda <inaudible> shomra to work and to guard it. Now that word le'ovda, you may recognize that from 323 as well. There, we're told that Adam is being sent out of Eden, la'avod et adama, to work the land. This time, land that's outside the garden. But it's the same job. Adam's punishment, being sent out of the garden to work the land from which he was taken, it seems to be a reverse of God's original plan to take Adam and place him into the garden to work and serve the land there. Only notice one more thing. It's not a perfect reversal. Adam was meant to guard and work the land in Eden, but his exile only mentions working the land. Guarding is missing. Something isn't adding up. So what's going on? This question nudged Rabbi Foreman to take a closer look. Here's what he came to. If
1: you think about it, uh, God is making... Sort of a, a a a triage analysis, right? He's got to decide like, oh my gosh, you know, man was put in this garden to actually do something. He was there da shamra. He was there to to serve the garden, to work it, and he was there to guard over the garden and to watch it. The tragedy is, mankind, whose job it was to guard the tree of life, what's got what is God's worried about? Who's going to attack the tree? Man, the guards. The gardener. Right? What if the gardener becomes the threat? They
0: can't be trusted in the garden anymore.
1: Right? And that, therefore, there is no other solution or banishment, which is really beautiful, I mean, because you know, if you view it any other way, you think like, so man was banished from the garden out of punishment. Go to your room. No. We're banished from the garden because the whole point of you being in the garden was to protect the tree from those who would invade it. But now you've shown that you would be the invader. So I actually can't trust you to do your job. Not only I can't trust you to do your job, you're, you're the very potential threat that you were supposed to guard against. Getting back to the idea of triage, if we then look at this verse, let's read it one more time. God cast mankind out of the garden to work the land that he was taken from. In other words, it's like, look, I understand you're a worker of land. I just can't afford you to have you in the garden anymore. You're gonna to have to work different land, work the land from which you were taken. And what about the guarding? I for sure can't afford to have you guard this garden. You're you're the potential threat. And therefore, the next verse, verse twenty four, God casts man out of the garden and sets up sets up east of Eden the Kruvim, these angels with their mysterious at lahatta pechat with the flame of a revolving sword lishmor at derahetachaim to guard the way back to the tree of life there it is to work and to guard oh wow man's original purpose in the garden is coming back in these verses and is actually being divided up in a in a terrible act of triage
0: so avoda serving the land that's still a human job but it's got to happen elsewhere now outside the garden Meanwhile, inside the garden, no one would be working the land, but someone or something would still
1: be guarding it. That's the angels. They can perhaps keep it safe so there can be another chance whereby man can be given access to the tree one more time.
0: And we're back to where our discussion began. But now the stakes felt higher. Exile cut us off from Eden, but it also left Eden without its gardener. And I wasn't sure what to make of these angels usurping us as guards, but it certainly made the image on the way out of Eden that much more vivid. And it was this image that Rabbi Foreman was interested in to begin with. Remember, he wanted us to get a good picture in our minds of what the tree looked like on the way out of Eden, so that we'd know exactly what we were looking out for in order to spot the tree's return.
1: We leave Eden, and we cast over our shoulder There's that famous painting of Adam and Eve leaving Eden and it's peering over their shoulders at the kruvim, right? That's the last we see of the tree. Interesting, we don't really even see the tree. We just see the path to the tree. Maybe we glimpse the tree at the end of the path. We see angels, these mysterious angels. We see a flame. And we see a sword. We see a sword that's mitapech, that's revolving or somehow double-edged in some way. Upside down. We don't quite know what that means, right? And that's the last we see. So, Emu, the question I would say to you is if you caught just a little narrow glimpse of this last moment, what would it actually look like to you? Um,
0: I would see, again, just repeating the imagery, um, I probably would see angels. Uh, I'd see some sort of sword.
1: But if you saw it really far away, right? what are the most outstanding images that you would see?
0: Oh, you mean if I see that this whole thing? from See Broadway. the whole
1: thing. Say you're five hundred yards away, right? What would you see?
0: Fire, probably.
1: Probably fire. The tree, fire. Maybe the angels with the sword. If I got a little closer, right? So, when else do we meet an image like that? A fiery tree. Oh, the burning bush. It's the but it's a bush. bush. It's not a tree. So, one second. So, let's hold on. Let's first establish whether Foreman is entirely bonkers in this, right? Let's just, right? So I'm suggesting that the burning bush, what if the burning bush was the tree of life? If the burning bush was the tree of life, then as Moses gets closer, he sees fire, he sees the tree, right? Oh my, there's an angel there, right? There's an an angel there. An angel jumps out of the bush.
0: There's an angel that talks to Moses. It tells him to take back. off his.
1: Could you try again?
0: Siri. Oh, Siri wants you. in on this conversation. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's the voice of the angel.
1: It's the voice of the angel. Let's read the verse. Let's go to the let's go to Exodus for a moment. Why don't you start from uh from
0: chapter three, verse one? Okay. Moshe uh, Moses was uh shepherding the sheep of uh, Jethro, his uh Father-in-law, Kohen Midian, who was the priest of Midian. <speaking in Hebrew> he uh, led the sheep through the desert. <speaking in Hebrew> right. He comes to uh, the mountain of God in a place called Chorev. <speaking in Hebrew> An angel of God uh, appears to him in Labat Esh, right? This flame of fire. fire, from the bush.
1: From inside the bush, from the middle of the bush. Does that remind you of anything and the tree of life of anything? Where was the tree of life?
0: Oh, Betoch, right. It was Betoch. It was Betoch in the middle of the garden. And here now the angel is Betoch in the middle of the bush. Fascinating.
1: So here you have the fire. Here you have the tree, and here you have the angel. But, Emu's Murray is saying, okay, Foreman, I get it. But a number of things. I mean,
0: I, want, I, want, I, want, I mean, if I want to pick on you, I'll pick on you. Like, pick on me. Labat-esh is flame of fire, but it's yep. not lahat, which is the only fire we have there. It's, it's a different word. It's a different word.
1: Right. Although we don't but, but we got know a bunch the difference of different words. between labat You're giving well, me
0: you're, a sneh is a bush. It's not an yep. ace.
1: A sneh is not. So one thing is, okay, Foreman, the Torah knows how to say a tree of life. It wasn't a snare. It wasn't a bush. It was a tree. It can't be the tree of life. Good. That's one question. What else?
0: There is an angel in both places. It's not specified that it's a Kruvim, but still, I'll give it to you. that, That is kind of intriguing
1: to me. But your problem is how many angels were guarding the tree of life? Two. Kruvim. Yeah. So we're missing an angel. Right. That's true. We're down an angel. He's uh, slacking off. Right, so we have, what, a missing angel? We have one angel, AWOL. So clearly, this was not a slam dunk, but
0: it was interesting. And while skepticism is valuable, and I dared mine, one thing Rabbi Foreman taught me well about this book, Like No Other, is that it's always worth taking a closer look. And there were some compelling things to see. I'm going to read just a bit more because I see, you know, Vayar Vihine hasnebo erba'esh. Like, Moses actually sees this... Uh, Bush that is is burning and the oh cool that so that means that the mm, bush what are you <laughs> seeing there the bush was not consumed, but that ukal, right is the same word right as aal as eaten right the the which is exactly what's supposed to be for the tree that it is supposed to be a, a tree that is a ukal, a, a tree that is not
1: consumed and not the fruits the tree itself is a the tree, a, tree a, itself. Right. The bark of the tree is not being eaten. Why were we banished? Because what was God worried we about? We would eat the tree. We would chop down the tree and eat it.
0: The fire is following the rules. Man doesn't follow
1: the. The fire is following the rules. Man didn't follow. The... That's the whole point of the angels. The angels were supposed to follow the rules because we couldn't be trusted to follow. These. We couldn't be trusted not to eat the tree, but the angels could be trusted to take their fire, which is a really dangerous thing, and to not eat the tree. Come here with your fire, fire! Are you crazy look, I'm an angel, I know, I'm not going to destroy the tree, God, trust me. So here's these angels with their fire, and the tree itself was not being slashed, eaten, eaten consumed.
0: These angels, first they steal our job, then they upstage us on the listening to God front. I was liking them less and less, but I was liking this theory more and more. And also, I like the fact that um, Moshe is not here yet right he see this he sees this a ways away right he says I'm gonna actually uh turn uh to go look at this right and here he's actually gonna actually gaze first
1: And uh, how are you supposed to relate to the tree of life
0: right first you gotta actually
1: see and the first thing that happens he's entranced yeah. by a wondrous right. sight he's going to see it
0: mm-hmm you once taught me this in a totally different context, but it means something else now. You have a Hanukkah course about this. Uh, verse four, B'yar Hashem kisar lirot, uh, and that God saw that Moses actually turned to, to seed. And you pointed out that uh, God had some sort of test here, right, that uh, Moshe, could Moshe even notice uh, that there's something incredible here, right? If, if you were walking around in the desert and you saw a bush on fire, nobody would really, it's not a like huge miracle.
1: How sensitive are you to the majesty of right. what's happening? Right.
0: Well, so so here it's actually it, God is impressed that Moshe is uh, he's stopping to smell the roses. He's actually nechmad lemaray.
1: He's impressed with the subtle majesty of the sight. That's how you were supposed to begin to relate to that tree, right? Don't start thinking about what you could do with it. Just think about that's an amazing thing.
0: By uh-huh. the way, I actually also hadn't noticed this as to the names of God, right? So, um, so oh, Yudkei Vavkei, who you would argue is the aspect of God that is Nechmad the Mareh, right? He's, he is taken, yes. that Moshe is looking, but then, uh, in the same Pasuk, it is not Yudke Vavke who talks, it's now Elohim, who is speaking to Moses,
1: Yomar Moshe, Moshe, So one second, so slow down for a minute. So just to just to roadmap a little bit for everybody. So we're excitedly going through this text and looking at the implications, which seem to be many and manifold, but let's just understand that this is still an unproven theory, right? It's a theory that maybe when Moses sees a fiery bush, he's looking at the tree of life as we last saw it. We have a number of unresolved questions that we haven't dealt with. Uh, Why is it a bush and not a tree? Um, Where's the rest of the garden? It's the the desert. Um, How come we only meet one of two angels? Um, For that matter, where's the sword? But other things are starting to fall into place right? It still is this fiery bush. There still is this angel. What if that angel is one of the Kruvin? It's betoch, that the tree was in the midst of the garden, right? The way that you're supposed to relate to the tree is through sight. Moses is relating through it to sight. He's understanding the subtlety of it, right? So all of that is is falling into place. And the other thing that Emu has just noticed is that the names of God are tantalizingly mysterious all of a sudden.
0: I thought God's name switching was interesting but tantalizingly mysterious? Rabbi Foreman was seeing something that I wasn't. And thankfully, he soon took me down the rabbit hole with him. We were about to switch gears from gathering evidence to support the possibility that the tree was the burning bush to understanding what that meant. And it all began with going back to the garden to take a closer look at how God's names showed up there.
1: Who was it who banished us from the tree of life?
0: Who was it that banished us?
1: Take a look at the end of chapter three.
0: Well, it's, it seems like it's both.
1: Exactly. It is both Hashem Elohim, Yudke Vavke Elohim. Now, here's the fascinating thing. It turns out that Yudke Vavke Elohim is a very unusual way of referring to God. Throughout the Torah, God is almost never referred to as Yudke Vavke Elohim. There's one or two exceptions to it, but the real exception to it is one chapter in the Torah where 19 times God is referred to as Yudke Vavke Elohim. And that is the Garden of Eden story. What are we to make of that mystery? Now, I don't know for sure, but I'll give you my my theory. The Garden is God's place in this world. So in God's place in this world, the reality of God as Hashem Elohim is manifest. But everywhere else out of the Garden, human beings tend to view God almost as one and not the other.
0: This goes back to the idea we talked about in earlier episodes, that God's names, yud Vavke and Elohim, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, are a duality masking a unity. They each represent an apparent side of God, but ultimately, the division is false. God is one. But now, Rabbi Foreman was adding that maybe in the garden, God's oneness was more on display than we experience it day to day. And that's why God isn't just yud ke vav ke in creation story number two, i.e. the garden story, but yud Vovke vav ke Elohim, both names together. So what does this have to do with God's names at the burning bush? Rabbi Foreman was getting there. He just had one small but powerful point to add about God's manifest unity in Eden. And that was to remind me, we rejected it.
1: When we take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God says, Now mankind has become like only one of us, is how I would read it. You've taken the, the Elohim aspect and said that's the only thing that matters. And therefore you need to be driven from the garden because you haven't related to the tree of life aspect of the tree properly.
0: It's almost like the ability to see the yud key side of God was left behind in Eden with the tree. Until, drumroll please.
1: Now, if we're really right, Emu, that the story of the burning bush is the reintroduction of the tree of life into the world, isn't it interesting that all of a sudden the two names of God are going back and forth with each other?
0: Yeah, it's not quite Yudke Vavke Elohim like in the garden, but it's kind of like moving towards Yudke Vavke Elohim, like alarm bells going off. I'm not just Elohim.
1: Right? In other words, that seems to be a reintroduction of the yud Vovke vav name of God, right? It's, it, it, it seems as if God is revealing this name.
0: What Rabbi Foreman was suggesting is that it wasn't just the tree imagery from Eden coming back at the bush, like some kind of agrarian party trick. The tree's return was part of something bigger. Somehow, our ability to know God as yud Vovke vav was returning as well which makes the burning bush a huge milestone in human history, over and above its obvious significance in the Exodus story. It's a bold argument, though, to hang on a little name switch in one verse, especially since it's kind of weird to say that Yudke Vovke needs to make a reintroduction at all. Yudke Vovke doesn't disappear after the exile from Eden like the tree does. God's referred to as Yudke Vovke all over Genesis. So what was Rabbi Foreman thinking? Well, for one, he was thinking about a lot more than my one little noticing about God's name switching. If you're familiar with Rabbi Foreman's book, The Exodus You Almost Passed Over, you may remember he makes a similar argument there. We're not going to rehash all the evidence from the book. If you'd like to read it, there's a link in the description. But let's start with one important verse. This is Exodus 6.3. Things aren't going so well in Egypt, and God is reassuring Moses. He cryptically says, el bekel shakai. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the name Kel Shakai. Ushmi yud Ushmi Hashem, But I did not make myself known to them by my name Yud kevavke. Interesting. So you see where my foreman is coming from. Somehow, despite all the evidence to the contrary in Genesis. God himself is telling Moses that the forefathers didn't know him as Yudke Vavke, which means that the name Yudke Vavke must have been shared with us sometime later. And Rabbi Format's argument is that if you read the burning bush story carefully, it seems pretty clear that this is the spot where that big reveal took
1: place. I would argue that if you look carefully, the story of the revelation of Yudke Vavke is the story of the burning bush. Remember that moment where Moshe says, "God, what's your name? Tell me your name." So remember how God is like caught off guard, <laughs> and it's like, "What? My name? Like I am what I am. Don't ask me my name. Like what kind of name is that?" So God like fumbles around. It's like God actually has three answers. First, his answer is, "Eya, sure, eya," right? And then his answer is, "Well, just tell them, 'Eya, lachani aleichem.' I am something." And then he says, "You know what? I have an idea. Tell them this. The third attempt. Yud Vavke. Elokeavo Yudhe and Vavhe, the God of their forefathers, sent me to you. Zeshmi That's my name forever. The Zezikhwila dar, And this is how I always want to be remembered by Maybe that'll be my name. I'll be with you, God. Not just the God of being, it's the God of being with, the God of empathy, the God of love, the God of, of connection.
0: The God of the Tree of Life.
1: The main point I'm making is, is that. The name is actually constructed, right? It's literally, God is involved in a branding Mm -hmm. exercise. Moshe says, like, I need a name for you. And God is like, really, a name? That's how you human beings work. Like, I am who I am. Here's my quality that's really important. It's not really a name, but it's a quality. I'll be with you the way I am with you. I'm, I'm always with you. And then God says, you know what? I bet we can construct a name out of that. Let's take this idea of being with, and let's make a name out of it. How about Yud he and Vav he It's kind of like Haya being in past. It's kind of like Hove being in present. It's kind of like Yihia being in the future. But it's all of them together. God says that's a good brand name, and Moshe is like, no, that's not a word. And God is like, I didn't say it was a word. It's a brand, right? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you get it? It's got this double entendre. It means like being without reference to time. Just tell him yud Vavhe vav sent them to you. That's what. who' I'll be. Once yud Vavhe vav gets revealed, so then later on when the Torah is given at Sinai, when God writes the Torah and says, Moses, here's the Torah, he includes yud and vav
0: Wow. So you're saying that sort of this is ground zero. This is ground zero for yud Vavke. vav It gets invented here.
1: Exactly. It's a revelation of the with you God of the yud and vav God, this thing that was forgotten since the times of Eden, Abraham began to access yud and vav He began to intuit that God was kind of this Vayikra B'Shem Hashem, he called out in the name of yud and vav was beginning to introduce this back into the world. But th- this is where God's name comes and it's like, here's my revelation. This is really who I am.
0: Just to make this crystal clear, what God invented or revealed at the burning bush was literally the word yud keh That word is then used throughout Torah kind of anachronistically, including in the garden. Meaning, even Adam and Chava possibly weren't using this name to describe the unique connection to Yudke Vavke that the tree let them experience. But at least they had the tree. Outside of the garden, when Yudke Vavke is used, it means God is acting from this side of him. And maybe the foreparents had a sense of that. Pre-burning bush, there was no precise divine name for human beings to use to express that. So it's not that Yudke Vovke comes back at the Burning Bush. He was always there, but it's our full awareness of Yudke that's coming back. Of course, that kind of access to Yudke Vovke is what the tree of life offers us as well. Just to throw in my own two cents, it's kind of like the tree offers experiential access, and the name offers cognitive access. So, pretty cool that both of these are showing up at the burning bush. But the question is, why now?
1: How does this relate to the banishment from Eden? Like, let's ask this question: okay, if if you're really right that the burning bush is the next time we meet the tree of life, so you'd say, like, why the burning bush? How come I didn't meet the tree of life in Jacob's ladder? How come I didn't meet the tree of life when Joseph was taken out of the pit? The answer is, we were expelled from Eden because, in God's words, <speaking> in <Hebrew> Mankind was like only one of us. He's not willing to see me as a whole. It's only me as a judge, as an evaluator that he's interested in. And if he enthrones Elohim at the expense of Yudke he's going to destroy the tree. I need to save this tree to when mankind can begin to relate to all of me to when I can finally reveal Yidkei Vavke as the rest of who I am, which happens at the burning bush. Welcome to the Tree of Life, Part 2. The Tree of Life is coming back into man's history, because what journey is beginning at the burning bush?
0: The journey to Sinai.
1: The journey to Sinai.
0: Which happens here, right? It happens at Chorev. It happens at Chorev.
1: You know, Emu, one of the problems we had is that there was no sword. There was an angel.
0: There was mm. fire.
1: Where's the sword?
0: The cherev. The cherev, the sword becomes chorev. It becomes a mountain.
1: The mountain's whole name is chet reish bet. Chorev just happens to be spelled the same as cherev, the sword. There's the missing sword.
0: In what sense is it Mita Right, the... Uh...
1: Ah. That is the great question. If it's really true that Sinai, that chorev is the sword, so in what sense is it Meta, right? What about the mountain would be double-edged? So before we get to the revolving aspect of it, I'll get to that in a moment. Let me ask you another question. Let's come back to why it's a bush and not a tree. And why what happened to the rest of the garden?
0: because the tree is sad,
1: <laughs> Why would the tree be sad?
0: Wait, oh you're you serious. <laughs> It, I'm uh, serious. Uh why is the tree sad? Maybe nobody is ovdoing and shumroing it?
1: Maybe it, Whoa, 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 slow down. Go back to the garden. When's the last we left the tree? Go back to the triage in the garden. What did God have to do to keep the tree safe?
0: He needed to, to protect it, but no one's there to work it.
1: If no one was there to work it over the ages, what would happen to the tree?
0: Maybe it would erode.
1: Yeah. What would it look like?
0: A sad bush.
1: <laughs> It would look like a sad bush. It would be protected, wouldn't have anyone destroying it, but no one's working it. Well, if you never had any gardeners, all, and the only thing they were focused on was this one tree, all the other trees would fall away. There wouldn't be a garden anymore. There would be a desert and all there would be is one little sagging bush. That's never been watered. That's just this prickly little thing in the desert, but it's at least being guarded with this fire. That's the burning bush. It's the decomposition of the tree of life. Over time, God's word has not been taken care of. The angels are great at playing defense for the tree, but there's no one nurturing the tree. Hence, it's a bush in a desert. It's the garden, except the garden's all gone.
0: That's so creepy.
1: Yes, this is the garden. It's this barren, craggy mountaintop that hasn't been worked with what's one little sad bush. It's the tree of life.
0: It's really interesting because the angel does his job. All he does is guard it. So I was reading, right, in, in verse 5, he goes, Al tikrabhalom, halom, right? Don't, don't get close, right? It's a, yep. That's his job. Like, stay. That's his job. Stay, stay back. And then he says, na na'alecha me'al raglacha," Take off your shoe from your foot. Ki ha'ma koma she'ata admat kodeshi. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. Admat kodesh, right? The adama uh-huh. shows back. Up. the last time the angel showed up, it was right after God had said that he he had to cast him out lavo et Adama, to Adama uh, to work the land
1: so understand that you're no longer on that kind of land you're on not not on people land, you're on God land now because you're back in the garden
0: maybe, maybe that and maybe maybe even even more he's called adam he's taken from Adama, but he sort of rises up beyond Adama. And, and doesn't remember his symbiotic relationship with Adama.
1: Oh, fascinating. So you're actually advocating, that's something, as I never understood the answer to that, why, if it's holy ground, do you have to take off your shoes? Yeah. And you're really providing an answer. In other words, because the value of yud Vavhe vav would be connect to your source. Well, I'm not your only source. I'm the source for your soul. Where does your body come from? Your body comes from the ground. So, like, do you care about your source or not? Like, right. if you're going to connect to me because this is the tree of life and it's God's word, you've also got to connect to the ground. Can't connect to one source without the other. The
0: angels' mock pit. It's sort of like, sort of God's like telling the angels, "Hey, remember I've been telling you to keep these me- men folk away from the garden the whole time." I pro- he's learned his lesson. I'm going to let him back in. Then the angel's there, and he's like, "Why is he wearing shoes? Take off your shoes,
1: <laughs> right?" Like, right. If you were if you were someone who cared about their source, what are you wearing shoes? Right. You want to connect to your source or not? Right. So that's beautiful. I never thought about that. Like, You're I back use, in Eden. You want to come back
0: to Eden, right? You gotta connect the same way uh, the creatures of the earth would connect. But I, I only would have seen that um only with your suggestion that um it, it's Eden. This is that's creepy, it's a creepy notion just to think of this as as Eden and it's such a sad notion, then it's this mountain and a desert. Right. And
1: it's almost like Eden is not a place. It's transportable. Somehow it's God's world in this world, wherever God puts it with its tree of life in it. I
0: had been wondering, were we supposed to believe that the Sinai Desert was Eden? But the point isn't Eden the place. It's Eden as an opportunity. We'd seen how that opportunity opened up at the burning bush. But now Rabbi Foreman was ready to expand the story all the way to Sinai.
1: Let me ask you a question, Emu. Did it ever strike you as strange that the Torah was given at Sinai, all of all places, in the middle of the desert, long before Israel made it into the land? Like, when are you going to do the commandments? When you get in the land. That's when it's going to become practical. So, right at the end of the Torah, when Moses is there, it should have been, okay, hold up, guys. Before you go into the land, there's some rules. right? Why does it happen in the desert, when it's all this time in the desert, where we can't really implement the rules? Right? I wonder... If our first exposure to Torah had to be when it was only theoretical,
0: when oh, there wasn't fascinating. The utilitarian fascinating. The Torah wasn't given Tovla le- Maachal first with the fruits first. It's given the tree first. It's actually given in non-applicability. So you can just hear the voice and appreciate your creator and relate to
1: him. Exactly. You wow. can't really do it yet. The wonder of the revelation. The wonder of connection, wow, is all it's about. that's
0: really cool. So it's almost like the, the desert experience is the womb for the reintroduction of the tree to Israel, where y- yes. you couldn't even eat the fruits. It's almost like the tree didn't yet bear fruits.
1: Yep. Which is why look at the burning bush. Did anyone say anything about fruits on the bush?
0: No. It's, ba- it's back into pri- primordial form.
1: Right. It's just like here, you got to help it. You got to help it grow fruits. You got to help it, right? And then somehow, like if you get into the land, then there would be fruits, whatever, but we're not up to that yet. It's just this first sort of revelation. And then what's fascinating is like if, if you look at in Deuteronomy, Moses tells to the people how important Sinai was. He says, always remember and teach your children about Sinai. But when he explains to them what was important about it, he doesn't say, teach them about the day that you learned the Torah, teach them about the day that you learned about Tov and Ra and about all these mitzvos. Teach them about Yom Asher Amada Talifne Hashem Alokacha B'Chorev. Teach them at the day that you stood in God's presence at Chorev. That's all you have to teach them. Beautiful. Teach them about just being there with God.
0: Beautiful. This should be this should be like the the inspirational keynote event of an educate educators conference, right? Like, don't get so fancy of the things you need your your kids to know. Just teach them yeah. about that day where you stood
1: in Chorev. That's the first thing they need to know. Just. Help them understand what, how wondrous that was.
0: It's the same plan we saw in Eden. Connect to God tree first, fruit second. Only here, in case you missed it, there is one little difference. Well, maybe not so little. The tree has been replaced by the Torah. Sinai is a second chance at what we might have had in Eden, but it's not an exact replica of that experience. It's Revelation 2.0. The Torah, not the tree, is going to be our lifeline to God now. And maybe that's why we need the tree imagery coming back at the burning bush. It's the keystone clue, the big indicator that though Chorev, this desert, may not look like Eden, what's happening here is a variation on a theme. Just like in the garden, we're meant to connect with God as Yud-Key-Vav-Key 1st as Elohim second, and Rabbi Foreman saw even more nuanced and tragic similarities between Sinai and Eden than that.
1: You know, it's interesting that at Horei, the first thing the angel says is keep away, right? Don't get too close. What does that remind you of back in Eden? Our very first command was, here's all these trees, but stay away. And that's one value that you have, have proper respect. But then once Moshe stays away, what's God's message to him over and over again? The Yud Ke'Vav Ke' message, Moshe, you're stressed? I'm right there with you. The people are stressed. Tell them I understand. I'm with them. I'm with them. I'm with them. And that's the tension. The tension is respect, distance, but connection, right? Connected distance, respectful love, right? And that's what's happening at the burning bush. And I want to suggest it's happening at Sinai too. If you go to Sinai, God tells Moses, tell them not to touch the mountain. They touch the mountain, it's very dangerous, can't touch the mountain. They have to have proper respect touching the mountain. Because it's like the mountain, it's like it's a tree of life story all over again. And what happens if you go actually into Exodus 19 and you read what happens? There's a strange little verse there. Look at this little verse, 1913.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Anybody who touches the mountain will die. Don't touch it. Bim Shocha yovel But at the shofar blast, hema ya'alu bahar. Everyone goes up the mountain. What was supposed to happen at Sinai?
0: They were supposed to go up the mountain.
1: Everyone was supposed to go up the mountain. Then, look in Deuteronomy, right? In Deuteronomy 5. Moses, 40 years later, recounts this. It's so sad. Read chapter 5. God made a covenant with us. Made it with all of us. All of us are alive. And then listen to what he said. God spoke with us all face to face in the midst of the fire. But then, I stood between you to tell you about the word of God. But you know why I stood between you that day? Because you were too afraid of the fire. And you never went up the mountain you never embrace the tree of life this was a tree of life moment this was a moment where you were supposed to just have that experience of panim look at these words panim be panim diber Hashem imachem. god was speaking to you face to face but you wouldn't do it cuz you were afraid so you said moses you stand there between us we we can't have this connection to the loving god and then look what happens 519 at god spoke all of these words
0: to the whole congregation from the midst of the fire.
1: The voice, not just the words. Forget the words, the ideas, just the voice, an infinite voice.
0: In episode two, we talked about how God's voice is a source of God's breath. At Sinai, we had the opportunity to just listen to this voice, to breathe in God again. But jump to 524, and the people say to Moses,
1: you listen at Kol Asher Lokenu. You listen to everything God's saying. We can't connect with God. We can't go up the mountain. And you tell us at Kol Asher everything that God says, the Shamanu, the Asinu. You tell us about it so that we can do it. What part of the Torah do they want? They want what they can do. They want Tachlis. Tell us the laws. This connection with God, we're not made for that kind of thing. They fail to embrace the tree of life. And what happens at the end is Moses dies. As lo, come Navi Ode, there's no other prophet who ever saw God, panim el panim, face to face. But isn't it fascinating that Moses said, God wanted you up the mountain. and panim God was speaking to you all face to face but you wouldn't go up the mountain. So in the end, I became the only one. But that was supposed to be you all. This time, it wasn't that they grabbed for the tree of knowledge, but that there was a withholding of embracing the tree of life. And now the question is, well, where does that take us? Right? Where does that possibly go? So what I would just say to conclude is the fascinating thing about Chorev, you asked... Where's the cherev of The algebra would suggest that if on some level the mountain is cherev, is the sword, and it really is the tree of life, the sword would have to be mitapech. Imo, how is the sword mitapech? Let's say you were holding a sword for me, right? And I was looking at the business end of a sword, right? So I'd be like really scared, right? But what if I got close to you and I was inside the perimeter of the sword, I was looking at the same sword, what if the sword never changes, but our perspective changes depending on where we are? If you're outside the perimeter, the angels are keeping you out. If you're inside, the angels are holding you in. What I want to argue is that the Chereva Mitapechet wasn't a new thing. It was the nature of the tree that there would be a Chereva The whole idea that you have to be careful with this tree because you have to respect it, but if you respect it, you could draw close and be nurtured by it and love it. Loving respect is keep your distance, now draw close. Moses, keep your distance, take your shoes off, be very careful, don't come close. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. What God was saying was, these angels will have a sword, but the fact that it is a reversible sword means that the consolation prize humans is that you're not banished forever.
0: It's actually really interesting that you, you see the mountain. The mountain is the cherev right, as a sword. I wonder why. I have to meditate on that as to, I mean, I, they're both pointy. Um, so that, that makes sense. But in what sense, like I can see a mountain dividing, a sword's divide. You you can't go here, uh, but, but in some sense.
1: No, it's in time. It's first stay away. It's not place, it's time. God said, first establish respect. Do you respect me? Then you can love me. Stay away from that tree, right? Stay away from that tree. Now embrace the tree. Then you can eat its fruits. But first, show me that you can stay away. It's always, whenever you have a tree of life, it's always stay away, then draw close.
0: No, I, I understand that. I understand the symbolism. I'm just, I'm trying to, algebraically, I'm just trying to understand, you know, why is the sword the mountain? Is there an is there a more elegant connection? I,
1: oh, how, I get... wh- how come the sword... Yeah, I get
0: that the effect is is the same, but I'm trying to understand how the sword... Why does the sword become a a mountain?
1: Yeah, I don't have an answer to that.
0: Well, that was an anticlimactic moment. What Rabbi Foreman was saying was beautiful from the telescope view. Big picture, Rabbi Foreman was seeing the tree in Eden and receiving the Torah at Sinai as two versions of the same thing. Gifts that, when approached and used properly, would help us develop a full and mature relationship with God. In both cases, this relationship began with a Yudke Vavke connection. In the garden, we were meant to just behold the tree of life. And at Sinai, we were meant to just hear God's voice, never mind the words. But also in both cases, this Yudke Vavke connection came hand in hand with a specific restraint. Don't eat the fruit. Don't touch the mountain. This stay away stage was meant to lace our love with respect. Only when love and respect were both formed could we move on to the next stage, the stage of come close. In the garden, if we'd only been patient, we would have been allowed to eat the fruit. And at Sinai, well, at Sinai, it seems we did make it to the second stage. And it wasn't God's fruit, God's wisdom that was suddenly allowed, but something even more precious, the possibility to meet God face to face, to have the fullest experience of yud ke we could ever imagine, only, we shunned that offer. We still just wanted the fruit, the practical knowledge. It's so tragic, if not for the sliver of hope the Charef Hamita Peret brings, that the opportunity to come close will come around again. So that's the telescope view, but does it add up? Looking through the magnifying glass, the sword turning into a mountain was clumsy and inelegant. And remember, there was only one angel at the burning bush, not two so I couldn't help feeling like something was missing. Turns out, that's because it was.
1: So for next time, the next mysteries I have to figure out is, if this theory is true, how come there's only a mountain that represents a sword instead of a physical sword? How come there's only one angel? Where's the other one? So I believe that the Torah gives us answers to both of those questions. It turns out, there's another burning bush story. And if we can find the other burning bush story, we'll see the missing elements of this one. If you put them both together, we arrive at Eden. So we've only seen half the story. Next time, when we come back, we'll try and discover the other half.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. I got to run because uh, my kids are popping into my room. This was a lot of fun. Good talking to you. I'm going to say goodbye to Rabbi Foreman.
1: Hi, Rabbi bye Hi,
0: Mom. The sessions with her by Foreman can leave me anxious, elated, inspired. This one left me pensive. Putting aside the fact that we only have half the story, let's say the theory is right. We failed. Again. Okay, maybe this time we did a little better. In the garden we fail in the stay away stage. At Sinai it's in the come close stage. And look, God still gave us the Torah. He wasn't afraid we'd eat that. So progress. But still, how could anyone have turned down the opportunity to rush that mountain? Of course, what I'm really asking is, would I have? I want to say no, I wouldn't have turned it down. But I don't know. The tree of life, hanging out with God, it sounds so easy, so attractive. So why isn't it? What do you think? I would love to hear your thoughts on this or any part of the episode. There's a link in the description you can use to leave us a message. And I, for one, can't wait to hear your voice for a change. Meanwhile, next time on A Book Like No Other, the tree returns again. But this time, it's not just a sad bush. This time, the tree bears fruits. And our story finds its second half. You don't want to miss it, so make sure to subscribe. And hey, while you're at it, please share with a friend. If you liked it, maybe they will too. A book like no other is a product of Aleph Beta, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people fall in love with Torah. Visit alephbeta.org for hundreds of more deep dive audios and beautifully animated videos on nearly every biblical text. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you'll find a lot there that speaks to you. This episode was recorded by Rabbi David Foreman and me, Emu Shalev. It was edited by Tikva Hert with additional edits by Evan Wiener. Audio editing was done by Hilary Gutman. A book like no other's senior editor is Tikva Hecht. Adina Blaustein keeps all the parts moving.